Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. And this is our first Clintac Free Edition. I'm Frank Close, along with Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody. And, and Hunter, I'm gonna, I want to hear from you first because you seem like you were just chomping at the bit, ready to just talk for 45 minutes all by yourself uninterrupted. But what what's your reaction to the Matt McClintock news? Take it away, Hunter. Well, yeah, I'll catch I, you guys later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be here for a while. I wish I had my notebook. It's uh, it's over there where I'm not getting up to go get it. So I'll start here. You would think that you would be excited when Matt Clentak is no longer in place. I am despised. I, I'm just disgusted. I despised what I saw out of John Middleton in that press conference. So many issues, so many flaws. The fact that you have someone like Ned Rice in place. Okay, Matt Clentak 2.0. And you don't know how long it's going to take to get your next GM. It's pretty damn simple. I don't want to hear that COVID is an issue. You pick up the phone. It's called Zoom. You call someone from Tampa Bay, Oakland, all these low-profile teams that don't have a lot of money that succeed. You go down that road. Then he's blaming baseball people for not signing JT Real Muto. No, you're a joke. You take all the praise when you sign Bryce Harper and sign Zach Wheeler, yet when you can't find a way to sign JT Real Muto, it's the baseball people's problems. 100 years not being able to draft. Shame on you. Blow up the scouting department. Find new people. You guys can chime in now. I'll give you some time to, to speak your mind as well. Hold on, just cleaning the air out with a Q-tip here. I can yep. feel it all the way from from across the Zoom. Uh, look, I, I'm going to echo what Hunter is saying about this. About if you're going to have a press conference and you want to be honest, fine, be honest, but don't be contradictory and don't be insulting. When you say he was specifically asked, Frank and Hunter, right? You guys heard it. You know, do you is part of the reason that Matt Clentag lost his job? Is he being held responsible for not being able to sign uh, JT Real Muto to an extension prior to this free agency coming up? And he says, no, I don't hold that against Matt Clintac at all. And then later in the press conference, he says, as Hunter just just uh, put out there, that his base, he wouldn't have made that deal to trade Sixto unless he was assured by his baseball people that they would be able to extend JT Real Muto, which they haven't done. So if he, if he was assured incorrectly by his baseball people, then why is he saying he doesn't blame Matt Klintak? That's his top baseball person. So that is a clear and deliberate, although I don't know why it's deliberate, but clear and deliberate contradiction on his part that to me, when you start to talk about credibility, I mean, go back to September when – I'm sorry, last year in September when the bullpen was this wonderful bullpen in September and therefore, you know, the, no reason to, to make drastic changes and th or, or things like that. I, I just don't understand how he could have sat and answered that question two opposite ways uh, or answered that topic in two opposite and distinct ways. I, I don't – and I'm very confused about what direction this franchise is going to head in from here on. So let me ask you first then, Jeff, because you brought up the real Muto uh, comment. So, yeah, it seemed to be seemed to be answered in both ways. But let me let me ask you this is, in your opinion, Matt Clintac's success or failure really tied to that one trade and that failing no. to failing to sign real Muto? No, his his. But but that trade plays into it, because if Matt Clintac made that deal. 
I'm going to hold Matt Klintak to his words and not listen to what John Middleton said. Klintak said in his final press conference before he was asked that he understood the ramifications that you're trading Sixto for two years of Real Muto. So if that was the plan, then there should have been more of an aggressive pursuit to surround this team with enough that it needed to win in that two-year window, not trying to half-ass it with a good offense and a bad bullpen or vice versa or not enough pitching. They didn't clear, They clearly knew uh, that they didn't do enough to really make this team a, a World Series team in that two-year window. So I will tie that to Matt. If that was the philosophy that we knew we were only having him for two years, then, then he did a terrible job of having that team prepared to win a World Series in that two years. But I don't really believe that, and I don't even believe what Middleton said. I just feel like at the end of the day, whatever plan they had, it backfired, it didn't work, and whatever you're hearing now is just rhetoric to try to, to, to fill the cracks in. So Hunter, does this, does this take, I know you were, I, it's hard to break down everything you said to open the show. In fact, I, I, I I, I'm still things. trying to, I'm still trying to synthesize all that information, but um, in, in your mind, then if, if I, I still feel like this sounds like people are going to judge Clintac about around that one deal. And do you think that in some ways the next general manager, whoever it is, or president of baseball operations or however they, however they address this thing. And we'll get into that. Do they sort of have a pass on Real Muto or are they going to be expected right away to make Real Muto a Philly? And, and, and will he be judged according to that right away? I don't think that that's fair at all. And to be honest with you, after hearing um, John Middleton speak about how long it might take to get your guy, I don't even expect to have that person in place before next season starts. I honestly feel they're going to milk this thing out and maybe wait as long as possible, whether that's to target someone they have in mind or it's because this COVID is actually forcing them to have to wait just because the nature of communication. But that's where I say, look, if you have a person in mind, I don't care if COVID's in place or not. You find a way to communicate with them because there's plenty of ways to do it. But I can't say that the next GM has to find a way to get JT Realmuto in there. Cause I think the next GM in place would be Ned Rice. He's the one that has to, and I don't, I can't put that on him. Can you guys? Well, he's a placeholder, right? I mean, he's the interim GM. I mean, they didn't give him the job. Let me so throw this. There's at no you. way he's going no, to be the GM. Let, let me there's throw this no at you, though. way he's the GM. No, right. But John Middleton, like he's not going to be signed. If they wanted him signed, if John Middleton wanted him signed, like he said, he would have done like instantly, he would be signed. So I don't think John Middleton wants to pay that money because if John Middleton wants him here, who's going to stop him? Is it possible that Middleton, guys, is having a very understandable internal conflict about what we've talked about, whether it's, it's ideal to give a catcher, even though he can maybe DH or whatever, ideal to give a guy like JT Realmuto, you know, seven years at – I guess what, what what's it going to be? Seven one eighty five. That is my yeah. that is my prediction, and I'm sticking to it. Right. Well, and, and look, I think it's very fair to question. It, it's very fair if we're being really objective, right? And I think we've done that on this on this show before. We've said that this might not be the smartest thing for any regime to do to sign that guy for seven years, uh, hundred twenty eight, whatever million is hundred eighty five, hundred eighty five. Yeah, because of the position, some precedent set before with either Mauer or or uh, what, like Sal Perez, right? Other guys who have signed for a lot of money and then regressed. I mean, it's a really fair argument. It's not like Bryce Harper. That's that, that that's easy, man. That, he's an outfielder. He's a superstar. You're not worried about. By the way, you remember when he was drafted? What position Bryce Harper played? 
Was he a catcher? He was a catcher. I forgot. About they moved that. him right. out from behind the dish because they knew he would have longevity by playing right field. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So I think that that's all. I, I don't know this. And I suspect that this is all factoring in. And that's why it's really important why Middleton's get, gets his number one baseball personnel man in there fairly soon, because that's a really important decision. And I don't know if he was being intentionally evasive or just not true at all. I mean, I have a hard time believing he's going to wait a year unless he's doing some holdout for Theo Epstein job that, you know, we can, we can talk about the merits of that, but I, I have to feel like he's got to get some guy in there a lot sooner than he suggested. So, so, so here's what I'm actually wondering. So let's break down the uh, scenarios, right? So, from from if you kind of piece together all the all the reports, I think Matt Gilb of the Athletic had perhaps the the best take on this, and seeming that maybe two hirings might take place, you might find that they hire a GM and a president of baseball operations when this is all said and done. Uh, but right now, McPhail is still here. Right now, McPhail perhaps could retire at season's end. Um, so maybe the Phillies are are kind of being open minded that if they can get, as you said, Hunter, the right guy at the president level, because that might be what you need to take to get them. Maybe they're willing to do it. Maybe if they can't get that guy yet, maybe, maybe the, the, the market's better. Now, Jim Salisbury of NBC sports Philly, he is, he is writing that way, you know, this, this, this timing could match up to when Theo Epstein is available. Might it make sense in, in a, and Hunter, you could tell me what you think. Is there any way that you can see that this makes sense to wait just a little bit Given that that baseball is essentially in chaos right now, teams are going to be slashing payrolls by tens of millions of dollars. Like that, all this seems like this is going to happen, uh, thanks to thanks to COVID, thanks to the um, recession that's ensued, the unemployment. Like, isn't it better to to, to maybe take the route that you, you kind of hold off to you get the right guy, even if it means waiting? It's a hard sell to the fans. I'll tell you that. Like in theory, if it does get you the right guy, then yes, I would say taking one year off to make sure you get the guy is a good idea. But when you haven't made the playoffs in so long and when you go through what you've been through over the last couple of seasons with Matt Klintak, you don't really have a system. The minor league system's a joke. It's it's a really, really hard look to now tell the fans that, hey, we're going to hold off another season. I don't know. It's really hard. And you mentioned Andy McPhail. It's a weird spot for me because this guy hired Klintak and the snarkiness by Middleton to tell me that he's a World Series champion. I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't even <laughs> born when this guy was a World Series champion. So the fact that you know he's going to be gone after a year, yet you think he's so smart that you want to get his opinion, it just it conflicts each other it, the way I see it. Yeah, I got this pack of 1991 Fleer baseball cards here, and uh, that was the last year that Andy McPhail won a World Series. So I, w- I was... Twins over yeah. Braves, baby. Right? <laughs> yeah. I did watch that World Series. And, oh, uh, man. Puckett Chuck, and Brian Chuck Harper. Knobloch, rookie, Chuck like, rookie sensation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sal Powell thinks that uh, Carson Wentz reminds, reminds him of, you know, maybe a little bit of the mental errors going on with that squad. Oh, oh I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. So, Not Frank, <laughs> so, you, you, wait, you asked a really good question to Hunter about, you know, involving, like, do you have to have the right guy in and is worth waiting for? But I think there's a broader question within that that really has to be answered. And that's who is the right guy. And, and I don't mean by name, like Theo Epstein or so-and-so. I think the biggest conflict I have right now with this franchise is 
trying to understand what kind of personnel person that they're looking for and how that person can mesh with Middleton and his control of the organization. And for an example, you know, Theo Epstein goes to Chicago, right? They're owned by the Ricketts family. Uh, and it's, you know, just from, from watching from here, it seems like they said, okay, Theo, we know what you've done in Boston. You have the keys, right? Here they go. And I don't know how involved they were in like Jason Hayward's contract or any of the big money contracts. They saw. It seemed like that was Theo's operation. John Middleton has given you the, I'm not just a potted plant spiel. So I don't know if he can, he's a little too Steinbrenner-esque for me to, to say that I feel comfortable that they can go and bring in some Theo Epstein guy or some real like analytical mind or progressive analytics baseball mind without Middleton always kind of also being there to try to spend a lot of money just to get somebody like there has to be the right match of personality and mission with owner and with personnel guy. So when we talk about Dave Dombrowski, right. Some people, and I tweeted that the other day, some people are like, oh my God, all that guy does is ruin bullpens and trade away guys and sign big guys to contracts. Yeah, I, I understand that. He's more of an old school GM than, than a new school GM. But th- you have an old school owner who, who spends the money and wants to compete and wants to win now and doesn't show that he has the understanding and the patience to really grow a baseball organization from an R&D standpoint like the Cubs now do, or like um, Tampa Bay obviously does and the Dodgers. So I think the big question, and I'd love to hear your, your feeling on that is who is the right kind of guy that can work with John Middleton and build a real franchise here? See, I, I think I hate to say it because we just saw five years of rebuild. Right. And, and I, I think five years plus, right. I mean, they were, they were bad even before the rebuild began. That's the problem, right? I think yeah. the 2014 Phillies was one of the worst things to watch ever, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, and then they finally admitted mid 2015 they would that? actually rebuild. You, you actually watched that? Yeah, AJ Burnett forever. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, oh God. But, but, uh, but, but yeah, but like when this rebuild begins, you know, the first, the first spring, spring training, I was with the station. I walk into the clubhouse and. And there's, I didn't even notice them signing Cedric Hunter, but there's Cedric Hunter and David Lowe. And they went through, they went and Manny Burris is in the room. Like, like there were, there were, that was, that was the lowest of the low, it seemed, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think, I think fans aren't going to like it, but I almost wonder if, if kind of a rebuild year, just one. You have be, to. Oh, there's, the, I mean, there's well, here's no, the thing. Well, let me, let me explain. To. Let me explain. So you talked about the R&D, right? So here, here's one move that the Phillies made last year. Now, Johnny Almaraz did not lose his job as the, the, the farm director, um, mm. but, but they got Brian Barber from the Yankees to oversee the. So he had his first draft this past offseason, and it was a challenging one. Let's, 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 let's be uh, very clear about that. Right. And the next draft, yeah, so he only has one draft. He got Mick Abel. That, that, was, his, that was his prize of that, and I kind of like the way he thinks. You know, he, he's taking the gamble on the, the high upside pitcher instead of, of uh, the the, the, the uh, I mean it worked out with Nola, but of late it seemed like you know we either we either have one end of the spectrum or the other. It's some young, young young high school um, position player who may never ever work out like Cornelius Randolph or, um, or or Mickey Moniak maybe I don't know or the the guy who's already done college. But um, but Barber has one draft in next year. He'll have two drafts in. You'll kind of know where things are going. Hopefully you'll have some minor leagues again. 
and you kind of let the you can let the McPhail era sort of burn itself out this year. I mean, the Phillies probably probably won't be terrible if they you know if they sign some some middle of the road guys because nobody has money next year and uh, you're either going to be there'll be teams that'll pay for the the superstars like the Real Mutos, right? I can see teams that 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 need to make a splash will do that, but they're not going to pay for like a mid-level type player. So like if the Phillies just plugged in the rotation, um, Mike Miner on the cheap or Robbie Ray on the cheap, uh, then the bullpen, they, they look at the, the available free agents. Maybe you sign one that's decent, like an Alex Colomay, throw, plug in a few other arms. Like they could probably get by and be kind of competitive for the year without doing, you know, it's almost like, and, and I actually give Ruben Amaro credit for this. Now I just said the 2014 Phillies about how they were bad. If his what seemed to be my take on the 2014 Phillies was was David Montgomery is saying, well, we want to give this one more shot, period, because we have Ryan Howard, Chase Utley. We have uh, Jimmy Rollins. We have Carlos Ruiz. We have Cole Hamels and and Ruben that year. He basically did no harm. He signed people Mm -hmm. like uh, like Marlon Bird and A.J. Burnett. Nothing that cost them draft picks, but enough to at least kind of hang in there. I almost wonder if this year needs to be a kind of hang in there year. I mean, as much as nobody wants to hear it, but then you get to the end of next year, you can have, you can have your McCutcheon deal expire. You can have some of your prospects move along the system. Then hopefully, you know, you're one year closer to getting rid of Segura. Uh, Not not that, not that he's bad or McCutcheon's bad. It just, there's, it'll clear up some space and some money. Then you can actually do something. I mean, you almost have to get out of the handcuffs that, that, that Matt Clintac has left behind. Right. I mean, um, and if you can't sign real Muto, you get the, you get the best one year free agent catcher you can, and you probably will hang in there. And at the same time, you have time to assess. What do you think? Um, I think that what you're saying makes some sense. I do think that the team has enough talent to continue to be competitive without having to make major moves and while being able to withstand some losses. But I think the reality is that the farm system right now should be the number one, the talent development. And John Middleton said it. He said, we have not been able to develop talent. That's got to be the number one priority. And I just, still go back to who is John Middleton going to bring in to be that guy? And how is that going to impact John Middleton's impact, his own uh, day-to-day hand in, in baseball operations? The thing that worries me is with with this whole prospect thing, it's just going to be longer than one year. Like I think they, they literally have no prospects. They have no prospects. Alec Boehm is awesome. I'm not like I saw stuff out of Spencer Howard, but I saw, and I'm not writing them off, but I didn't see enough out of Spencer Howard to really leave me intrigued. He's a huge question mark. You have no system. I honestly believe you have no system. And when you look at the Braves, like you can get away with trading a six Sanchez. If you have other prospects, like it hurts, but you can live with it because you have other guys that you can move up. You just don't have that. Sadly, I see another five-year process involved. I hate to use that here in Philly, but I see another five-year process going on with these prospects part of things. And if I'm Bryce Harper, I'm pissed. He got suckered. You got to think he's thinking in his brain right now. I got suckered into thinking that this franchise is ran in a good way. This franchise, like, let's take it back for however long ago you want to think. This franchise blows. They suck. They, they really, I mean. Besides, well, Middleton said it himself. Middleton I, admitted you're, it. You're right. <laughs> uh, but I grew up where 
when I was in like, you know, my younger teens, 08, 09, 10, that's what I grew up knowing. But that is not what this organization has been. This organization is horrendous. I'm just, I'm so disgusted, really. I am. By the way, you know, looking at the Phillies' top prospects, their top 10 prospects, right? Uh, this, this is from MLB.com. So Spencer Howard's number one. He's already arrived, so to That's speak. That's scary. Right, he's number one. All right. Brayson Stott, number two. His ETA is until 2022. And, you know, he could be he could be your shortstop in a couple of years. Um, Mick Abel just drafted ETA 2024. Francisco Morales, a nice pitcher who's I don't believe he's played past uh, Lakewood. He's 2022. Uh, Adonis Medina already arrived. He's your number five. He prospect. was your number. Wasn't he our number one at one point in terms yeah, of pitching? His moved, ERA kept just going up and up. He and has up. moved down. Yes. What happens when you pitch in Reading? <laughs> yeah. Shortstop. Shortstop. <laughs> Luis Garcia, 2022. Rafael Marchand. Now he's listed as 2022, but he ended up playing this year. <laughs> so well, we talk about this bullpen being horrendous. You got to get some help out of some of these young guys. Now, I, I thought Connor Brogdon, when he came back, he was phenomenal. And uh, Romero, I think there's something there. But a good bullpen, sometimes you got to rely on these young guns to kind of step in there And when you don't have those young guns. But like, yeah, I none of them are two. on the top prospect list. Now, by the way, number nine on the Phillies' top ten prospects, none other than designated for assignment, Yell De Los Santos. Oh, that's always great when so the guy doesn't even play for you anymore. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> I think I think they technically, have, they technically have his rights, but – but, you know, the fact oh, right. Ricky Moniak is number 12 on this list, I Ooh, mean. Uh, well, well, hold on. That's great that you brought that up. So you talked about earlier on Matt Klintak and his, you know, the identity of who he was here. Is it going to come down to that JT Real Muto trade? And while that is going to be at the top, you look at the draft and just the draft as a whole. I mean, it's just embarrassing what he put together. Ian Anderson. I'm watching Ian Anderson pitch, and I want to throw up. Fair. Yes. Uh, Wasn't that you. the skim? Was that not the skim milk draft that John Middleton was referring to? Oh, <laughs> man. Come on. Mickey Moniak, that play out in left field, the lack thereof. Man, uh, what was that? I don't know. Can he play catcher? Because <laughs> he can't catch it, it is, in it the is, outfield. It is true that, that that was relatively thin, though, for the big, for the most part, right? I mean, yes. Nick Senzel was number two. He was, he was just, um, he's still kind of meh. He but but like but Ian Anderson, of course, pick third. Yeah, that's 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 the first guy that comes up out of that draft, and it makes you think, oh man, why did why did they go that way? But but you know, um, there, there's still not a lot, I you know, in that draft. But that's of course, true. when you pick first, you gotta get it real right. real briefly. Can we just go over how disgusting Sixto Sanchez is? I think he <laughs> is filth. He's gonna be better than Aaron Nola. You would have Sixto Sanchez, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. And I'm not anti Aaron Nola, but when your ERA is 4.21 in September, I think it raised after his last game. I demand more out of my starting ace, if you will. Sixto told... Sanchez, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. Yeah, last, and I'm last week, Jeff I and I went it. through his uh, Septembers. So. Okay. I totally, I totally thought Hunter was about to say he's going to be better than Pedro Martinez. <laughs> oh, he is though. Oh, he is though. You know, you you know he is. He of he is because of course he is right because he's, of course he's throwing a hundred miles per hour in the seventh seventh inning and I'm thinking man I love Aaron Nola but Sixto Sanchez's changeup is faster than his damn fastball. It's it's so uh, good. It's so it is good. Amazing. See that's where I think the lack of 
recognition. Like, how do you not see? And at one point, he was labeled untouchable. We were all, like, kind of mocking it. Like, oh, your prospects stink anyway. But that's what we're supposed to do. You need to know internally that Sixto Sanchez is actually untouchable. Shame on them. And I remember Matt, Matt Breen tweeting it. I think he tweeted this along the way, that, that, that inside the organization, they started to back off a little bit from the untouchable category. And they mm. felt that Spencer Howard, you know, kind of surpassed him. And that made him available. Imagine so, that. I'm not writing Spencer Howard off by any means, but come on. It's not even close. Yeah, that, that, I think that's a big, big thing here. Like if, if Spencer Howard works out, and and Sanchez works out, man. You you, there's, you definitely think what could have been, especially since they did not get it done the last two years. Well, how do you value a catcher over a starting pitcher, uh, especially where well, we've been through this before? Like, think about all the drafted pitchers that actually worked out. It's like Cole Hamels, Carrasco, Hap, Nola. Like, what four guys? Are we really counting J.A. Happ just because he's been I, pitching forever? Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> he hasn't right. been okay. for years after yeah. Philly straight up. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, he fine, was. that he doesn't count. He I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Good. Whatever. Count him. Don't count him. Carrasco was designated for assignment, and anybody could have picked him up. Like, you know, I mean, that's, you know, the, the ones that had success, it was way, 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 way later. So true. Yeah, hey, Gio Gonzalez wound up being a pretty good pitcher as well. So, I mean, he's another guy. All right, there you go. I, they just, I, I mean, that's a different regime. I guess here, here's one thing I'm, I'm curious about. And again, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm giving Middleton too much credit and, and the baseball people, whoever they are now. Do, do you think that they are cool with Real Muto testing free agency because they believe that teams will not commit to a six or seven year, $180 million deal for him? That was probably their mindset earlier on, but now they're so deep into it. They want to maybe play that card but deep down they know like uh oh we're screwed like but I'm, it's I'm, a good it's a it's yeah. a fair like everybody assumes the Mets are just gonna sign him to three gajillion dollars well I don't know that just because the oh, just because the new owner is a billionaire doesn't mean he's gonna be stupid I mean there's plenty of guys who are and I shouldn't say stupid because I'm not trying to say that signing Real Muto would be stupid I'm just saying like it doesn't mean he's going to take the first free agent out there and signing a potentially irresponsible contract just because he's got billions of dollars. If he's any, if he's smart, he's going to have hire smart baseball people. Well, I guess he's going to keep Brody Van Wagen in for now, but uh, hire have smart baseball people who help him make that decision and understand the risk and the reward of a contract like that. Well, the reason why people think it sets up like that is because one, they need a catcher. Yeah. Um, Will Ramos. By the way, remember when Phillies fans were mad when the Phillies didn't resign Will Ramos? <laughs> He was terrible. absolutely terrible for the Mets all around. You could uh, steal on him every single oh, game. Oh, yeah, every definitely. Game. Me and you could probably beat him. Roman Quinn in every time and let Roman Quinn just, you know, butt, butt single becomes Speaking a triple. Speaking of that, what the hell is happening? But in yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> but the Mets so many need holes. a catcher. Everything keeps segueing to the next issue here. That's a problem. All right. Because yeah, there's so many issues. Andrew Knapp, you want to see 160 to 140 of Andrew Knapp? <laughs> I'm well, not saying Andrew Knapp needs to be your catcher. Get a, not get a backup veteran. catcher, though. Uh, look, I, I ripped him to shreds. And, and he, look, I can tip my cap if I need to, and I will. In this 60-game sprint, he clearly exceeded expectations, and he earned a backup role next year. But what's I mean, the if he had gotten role? five hits, he would have exceeded your expectations. <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. That, that, but, but doesn't that go to show what we're talking about here, that although the Phillies are – 
seemingly close because they've been like right around 500 and, and almost there that they're actually further than we think. And the fact that they've upgraded the roster each year to the point now where this year they put on a team that you thought was going to be fairly decent if a couple of things broke their way. And the fact that they could not improve by more than a few games shows you that there's a, a flaw in the process going on here. And that I, I'm, you know, we talk about this new person coming in whenever it is, whoever it is. I think if you want to replenish the farm, you may have to trade somebody who's pretty good right now, who you don't want to see go just to help replenish the farm. Like maybe it's Reese Hoskins. Who I'm cool have, with that. I'm the problem yeah. with that is he just had UCL surgery, know, and, surgery. Yep. and the acquiring yeah. team, like what are, what are they going to get? I think that's, that's, that's part of the problem right now is I don't think there's a clear path to, to, to do one of two things. One to clear payroll or to, to, to get talent back. I mean, I don't think that the guys that they have that are tradable are, are going to bring you a lot back in return. I, I what are you going to do, trade Aaron Nola? I mean, no. well, I'm thinking, I'm not, no, I mean, I think you can seriously think about it. I, I'm not saying I love the idea, but Wheeler is, uh, had just as good of a year. He signed for the next five. Uh, you're expecting a little bit of a, you, you're, you got to, you need to rebuild your, your system, and he's going to get you more than anybody else. Yeah, but most could. don't you? And you need, can still be competitive. You need starting pitching, though. Like, that's, that's the thing where I think when you have it, you can't let that go. And it's not like Nola's getting to that point where it's, you know, hey, you need to maybe move on because he's getting older, like a Jimmy Rollins. When you get rid of Rollins' Utley thing, this is, you know, he's still young enough where I, I think you got to stay with starting pitching because that's something you just can't let go when you have it in the door, especially Aaron Nola type stuff, you know, as hard yeah, as I'm I am saying, on saying, under, Understand that with Reese Hoskins being hurt and if you're trying to replenish your farm, then who else do you have that you can move and bring some some well let's look at a business side of things do you think john middleton would be okay with getting rid of someone like aaron nola who sells tickets sells jerseys and i know he's not a personality guy but he's your ace and people know it's must watch when he's on the bump like from a business side yeah what you're saying goes back to my point like if they hire somebody from a franchise that is known for building up a farm and doing things differently like tampa you know, LA Neander. That's the name right. that everybody's throwing out there. Right. And I have some thoughts on that, but if they hire a guy like that, who has his own clear mission on how to do it and making some unpopular decisions, is John Milton going to get in the way? Like, that's my point is like, you don't hire a guy to make those decisions and then, and then neuter him. You know what I'm saying? So some of these decisions they have to make have to be difficult. But the problem is they, you would think they would have more that's tradable. I mean, Let's face it, Bryce Harper not tradable, right? Scott I mean, Kingery. Right. Yeah, yeah. Scott Kingery's not going to net you much. Andrew McCutcheon, no. can you trade him in his last yes. year of his deal for? Yes, 15, I think someone's going to take on fifteen million dollars. I, I think. Well, yeah, teams take on high. The Phillies do. They take if you if you're one Andrew McCutcheon away from being a really good team. I think you might. What see would that. his role now, be? I'm not on saying that team, it's very though. likely, but what, yeah. That? What would his role be on that team? Because he's barely a left fielder now. He's more of like that. DH role like what would his role yeah. be on a team like who's a I don't know who's a left he, he's, fielder he's, slash DH away because he can barely get on the field he's he's gonna I make mean, too much God. money and he's gonna make too much money and then he he's the kind of guy that you could trade in July for like a class a maybe high ceiling type prospect that's, that's an even better idea I agree with you that you can a yeah, man yeah, but, you but that's do not that. that's not gonna that's not gonna rebuild. You're it's kind of one of those things where you could trade him for someone you take a flyer on. Like imagine like telling Bryce Harper. Pavetta. Yeah, imagine. No, I don't know. Bryce... Like, what if he's ha- hold on, hold on. What if he's having? A, I mean, McCutcheon's a pretty good player. I know he's older, but he's like one of those players that if he's on, if he's batting, you know, if he's 
Got the 340 OBP, you know, 280s, got 20 home runs, 80 RBI, which he's very capable of, that you can get a couple of prospects from a team that's trying to compete, you know, trying to like the Ash, the, 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 um, the, the Oakland A's, who every once in a while will take on a high priced veteran when they're trying to do a playoff run and give up a few pieces, right? The problem is, though, like, remember, remember the Phillies paid more than, than, uh, um, um, I might draw a blank on his name. Uh, so, um, I, almost said Mike, I almost said Michael Saunders. Michael Brantley, um, yes. who only got two years, and he's a free agent now. But I'm, I'm looking at the list of free agents. Like, there's there's so many that'll give you what what he will. I mean, there's there's just not an I don't I don't feel like he's but he's not the type of piece you can trade that has that kind of impact. I mean, like if you're talking about rebuilding a team. He is not right. someone you trade to really get the get the next piece that brings you to the next level. Th- they they really point. can't trade that, anything. I mean, they've got Nola, they've got Wheeler, they've got Harper, and then a bunch of untradeable stuff. I mean, unless you're going to trade Alec Bohm and that defeats the whole purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would seriously, if I was given a really nice package of three or four prospects, I would consider trading Aaron Nola because I just don't know how you rebuild this team around prospects without doing it. It so would depend who's in place. They're not bad enough to get really high draft picks. You know, they're right. or they're gonna be, they have enough talent to be around five hundred, obviously. See, what I don't think ever happens because people get too attached to their players is like nobody ever thinks, all right, well, I'll trade Aaron Nola, I'll get some I'll get some prospects, some really good prospects, um, but then I'll spend my money on Trevor Bauer. Like, I mean, like like I, I never see them think that way where they fill mm-hmm. the position and also get the prospects. And I you've seen good Good teams do it all the time. Um, I mean, the, the Yankees managed to take advantage of a down season a few years ago <laughs> to, to make that trade with the Cubs, right? Which will which oh. will forever haunt the Cubs, probably. Probably as I much. I don't as know. They broke their whole drought. I mean, I think that they're you know, <laughs> if there's one, were, but, but, if there's one good excuse, you know. But but those but those opportunities are so rare, and I don't think that they have anything to. Uh, they're, they're gonna they're gonna have to do that. I mean that, that's the only thing I can think of is and now actually really what they should have done is if they were really looking to rebuild, make the trade this year while you still had JT Real Muto, and of course, that would have been that yeah. would have been that would that's what smart smart organizations would probably do in that scenario. Although the smart organization might have not have put themselves in that spot. To begin with, but I was just thinking, you know, you talk about trading Nola and doing this, and I'm not against it. If the right person is in place for me to trust them to get the prospects in return, then I'm, I'm not against it. But it's just so hard for me to imagine them at this point telling Bryce Harper, hey, we're going to get rid of our best starting pitcher who was in the Cy Young race a couple years ago, and, and we're going to have to go get prospects. Like, the messaging to this superstar that you just signed and to us, as you know, the fans, it, it's just so awful, but – you're in this spot, so what do you do? You keep going down a road of you're just in trouble, or do you have to find a way to get yourself out of it? It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but imagine telling Bryce Harper, "Hey, we're trading Nola." You know, it's just like, man. Well, look, I don't, I don't. It's not an apples to apples, but I mean, I'm sure the Chicago White Sox a couple of years ago, people thought that they were crazy. I mean, they were a bad team. They weren't as bad. They were worse than what the Phillies are now. So it was probably easier for them to do. But they unloaded Chris Sale to the Red Sox, and they got four prospects. One of them being Yoan Mankata, who's become a, good, a fairly good player. And I think the other th- guys they got, we have to wait to see what they are. But they're a team that's in the playoffs. They were 10 games over 500 this year. You know, they made a difficult decision. They knew they needed young talent and to restock. And, and a few years later, here they are in, in, you know, one of the better teams in, in baseball this year. They're not a very consistent organization, so I'm not trying to use them as some kind of great example but i'm just trying to say like you can make that decision if you're 
if you're willing the, the Phillies actually are better off because they still have enough talent to be able to still compete even without Nola they really do it's they can be a 500 team if they, as Frank was saying, if you just use some of the money that you save in the, and, and sign a veteran pitcher, you got Wheeler, maybe Spencer Howard pitches well. And then this veteran, you got a decent top three right there. It's not like the Yankees got great starting pitching. They have one great starting pitcher. And then you saw what they did in the playoffs. Now they're going on down. Now, now they're stealing the, the, the Rays uh, method of using an opener for their second playoff game. So there's ways to do it. And I, I think going back to what Frank said, he's the only guy that can get you something. And I just realized, I, f- I forgot, his deal is so team-friendly. So team-friendly. I mean, that right. is huge in terms of what you can get back in return. That, that's, a, that's a contract that the Rays would take and give yeah. you some of their many <laughs> prospects, wow. Probably. right? Probably. But you know what? I mean, I, I, I tend not to think they're going to make that make This that is trade. where we are, by the way. We're talking about trading Aaron Nola to, to fix yeah. this issue. I mean, it's sad. And, and But... If, if they if they do it, I mean, see that I, I just don't think that they're gonna, and which makes me think then that they're gonna they're gonna have to just wait this year out. I mean, and just let it be a mediocre mediocre year. I mean, maybe if there's an expanded playoffs again, which there probably will be, it sounds like. I think I think I think they just might have to commit to being mediocre and let some of these contracts run out, let some of these prospects move in the system, and and hopefully some of them some of them develop. Maybe you get some more, more talent value evaluators in your system that can help develop these players along. I mean, I mean, oh, is it- they, they better find the right guy. Cause I hate to say it, but you know what you're seeing from Oakland right now, what you've been seeing from Houston last few years, Minnesota, uh, Cleveland a little bit. I mean, th- those were teams that kind of sucked for two or three years and had to really develop their. I mean, the Astros lost a hundred games, what two straight years. Like I know nobody wants to see that here. And I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but if you want young talent, you got to pick high in the draft. And well, I saw, moves. I saw Corey Seidman tweet that $60 million is coming off of their luxury tax payroll this season. So there is some money to, to do some things, but that depends on what type of direction you want to go in. Are you going to spend that 60 million to be another 500 team and, and kind of compete or, or are you going to just commit to, you know, maybe being a, a bad team and, committing to that mindset it's it's a wow see i just feel like i feel like this season is going to be the season because of because of covid because of the the recession now 2009 the last recession right there were there was a drop in the average team payroll that's like the only time in recent history there's been a drop from one season to the next there's probably going to be a drop average uh one season to the next which means salaries will come down and a, a lot of those guys will get squeezed i mean it's almost like the Phillies should load up their roster with one year deals for like, like, like DD this year, like guys trying to, to make their next deal. And when, when finances get better, if they could be smart and grab a bunch of guys that are good in those one year deals, either ride it to the playoffs or they have a bunch to trade at the deadline. Like you must, you almost have to sign guys that, you know, you can trade at the trade deadline because there really is no, there's, I, I can't see another path. Are you willing? No, I, mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I just keep going with like, like, do you think it was easy for the, I know he was at the end of his deal, but it couldn't have been easy for the Indians to trade Trevor Bauer. Obviously, you know, they traded Clevenger for, for reasons that were different, but like they're good and they're going to still be good because they've developed their talent. So they can make that difficult decision to trade really good players and continue to funnel in talent into their organization while they're still competitive. They traded Corey Kluber too. 
Yeah, that's a common that's, theme. That's here. the one. Kluber. Yeah. That was the one I was trying to think of. Yeah, so, it's a common theme here. It's it's being able to actually draft and develop your guys and have so many of them that you can get rid of certain players, you can make moves, you can restock your whole entire prospect pool while getting rid of some players because you're constantly calling guys up. But if you had a system that actually worked and produced talent, then you're in a totally different situation. That is what screws up everything. So, way, so speaking, who's the guy? I'm sorry, go ahead, Frank. I was going to say, speaking of Kluber, maybe, maybe if you're the Phillies, do you try to trade for him and, and hope for the upside? I mean, Texas has one more year on the deal. They're trying to shed $50 million of their payroll. Is that the kind of guy that you try to take advantage of a team shedding payroll? And maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe there's a creative way to, to, to make that happen. I, Man, I think there's I, I, so yeah. many ways, though, that, you know, you think it's just like the mindset overall. Like, remember when Dallas Keuchel was out there and he wasn't getting anything and the Phillies wouldn't take a shot? Like, just the mindset of things like that bothers me so much when it comes to starting pitching. Not that Keuchel is some amazing player by any means, but he was very serviceable for when the Braves had him last year. And I just don't understand their mindset at all when it comes to some of these available pitchers. So you mentioned him. Well, I think, you know what, it, it, could it hurt? No, it probably couldn't hurt. But their mindset is so flawed when it comes to some of these available people. They need somebody, man. They need an ideas person. They need somebody better than us three who really has an understanding of how to make this thing work without having to lose a hundred games three straight years. Uh, Cause nobody's going to want to tolerate that around here. Certainly not John Middleton. So Frank, I mean, I, I don't know who that guy is. We've talked about Dombrowski. He's not exactly the, the progressive analytics guy that I think, you know, most franchises would love to bring in now. Um, but, you know, you know, when you talked about the guy from Tampa Bay, can you can you say his name again? Neander. Neander. Right. So I, I have a little bit of a concern about now the third in the line here. Like, I feel like the time to get the Tampa Bay front office was passed when Friedman went to the Dodgers and Heimblum went to the Red Sox. Am I, am I like, is everybody that Tampa Bay produces going to be some revolutionary? I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And it would only be so very Phillies to get the one guy from Tampa Bay who just kind of lived off the other two guys' coattails and really couldn't replicate what was going on down there up here. And then there's a few names out there. Now, uh, do you want to take a chance, though, with somebody who's the, the up-and-coming rising star, or do you want to get somebody who's done it? I think that that's going to be uh, – Well, Andy McPhail did it before. He's a World Series champion and soon-to-be Hall of Famer. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just can't see that kind of guy blending well with Middleton and especially McPhail still around. Well, I don't think he will be, but. Well, yeah, it would be a whole philosophy change, a whole organizational change, but isn't that what we need? Yes, but is Middleton willing to do? I mean, I give credit to John Henry, man. I mean, this guy has owned the Red Sox and they've kind of been, you know, they went from Theo and then they got rid of Theo and then they went more old school, right? They brought in Dabrowski and then they went and brought in Heim Bloom, who does things completely opposite of what the Red Sox used to do what just helped them win two world series they've they've been big spenders and all of a sudden they want to do things a little bit differently they don't sign Mookie Betts they trade him which is not something the Red Sox of five or ten or twenty years ago would have done but it sounds like Bloom has the keys to the car can John Middleton do that I don't know so if until I'm confident well I'm never gonna no I'm not none of us are but I'm going to be reluctant no matter who he hires because to me, the question won't just be who he hires, but how that relationship is allowed to manifest as the time goes by. Because if he does hire a young up and comer, he's got to let that guy 
do the job and it might be uncomfortable and it might look weird and it might involve, you know, openers to start games, you know, like the Rays do. I don't know what it's going to do. And by the way, Philadelphia itself is going to have to freaking like relax. Like you saw how they were with Gabe Kapler from day one. This is not a city that really um, uh, clings very easily to the whole analytics and progressive movement. They're going to have to chill out and like let this thing kind of follow through as well. Yeah, I'm here for it. Now, I do ask this question, though, because Middleton, I think he owns, well, he's like 48% or so. Like, how much impact does other people have when it comes to the manager? Like, you know what I mean? When it comes to up top and the managing partners, how much do they have a say in these decisions as well, even though Middleton's like the face of it? Well, I mean, in any business, you need to have more than 50%. To, you know, I mean, so if, if he and the Bucks agree on something, well, then... Yeah. There you yeah, go. I mean, I mean that's basically what it comes down yes, to. He is the controlling partner, but there are others involved. So I just, you know, other others involved saying like, hey, maybe I don't really like this. And maybe he values their opinions. I don't know. I'm just saying I know he's not like 100 percent all on him. There are other people involved with the with the managing partners of it all. But he is the face of it and, and majority of the stockholders. So. He should have most say, of course. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair question. Frank, you probably could answer this about like how much influence the Bucks have on, on, on these. Yeah, kind they're of pretty, I mean, it depends, depends who it is, but, but um, some of them are very involved in the operation of the organization. So um, well, yeah, is there any not, reason to think though, that they kind of, I don't want to say wizard of Oz type deal here, but, but that they're at some, in some way uh, as accountable as John Middleton is or, or, I mean, if, if there's going to be a major expenditure, it's just it's it's probably a group decision. So, um, you know, I mean, if they're going to blow past a, a, a projected payroll or something like that, I, you know, I as what well, was it? Middleton himself said he doesn't get involved in the two million dollar middle reliever. But uh, <laughs> yes, when it comes time for Bryce Harper. I mean, I, I tend to think that's that's what an ownership group would get together. But I, you know, the inner workings of the Phillies ownership has always been very silent. You, you know, even when this this original oh, yeah. ownership, even though it's morphed into many different ways over the years and Middleton's bought more and more of it. Um, the original ownership was, was, was Bill Giles and a bunch of investors and uh, they were all silent for the longest time. And mm-hmm. uh, some have died. Some have sold off their, their share. Some have uh, passed it on to their kids at this point. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not one that you know a lot of about, a lot about. It's not a public company, so we don't know the information about it. So, right, right. all right. So I have one last question because we've been, we've been, we could probably talk all night and we, we have a whole off season to, to, to break down a lot of these issues. But, you know, one thing about this Philly season, this is the first Philly season that, that featured Eagles training camp, the Flyers and the Sixers all playing at the same time. Uh, and then, of course, the NBA, the NBA is still playing, I think. I don't know. I, I lost track of them a while ago. Um, you know, Lightning just, just won the Stanley Cup, it just feels like. And, you know, Eagles football, full steam ahead, right? So did anybody pay attention this year? Like, like you know, the, it seems like the Phillies just sort of faded into oblivion because of all the other stuff going on. Are, are, next year, when they're the only game in town, are, are, are fans going to expect more, Hunter? I like that you brought this up. So I do feel like it, it was probably because you're talking about playoffs and basketball and hockey, and that's going to overshadow regular season baseball. But this season, it, it was almost like they normally slide under the radar so much because the Eagles start when they end. And when the Phillies end, everyone's frustrated. Here comes the Eagles. I think they've been on the radar more so than ever before right now because of no, like, 
This fan base demanded Matt Klintak to be gone. This fan base realized, like, it was almost eye-opening. It's been how long since they made the playoffs? It's almost like this year was what the Phillies actually needed, and there's more pressure on the Phillies than ever before because of this season when everything else was going on. So I don't know if they slid under the radar. If anything, I think this is the most that they've been discussed because of how embarrassing in a 60-game season with expanded playoffs – you don't make the postseason. This is this is probably the best thing for them to happen for us so change occurs. So I actually think with everything happening, there's been more focus on the Phillies. Jeff, you I, agree. I, I agree. I I was surprised. Uh, you know, Hunter said it's been the most they've been discussed, and I think the most they've been disgusted um, with what they've seen on the field, specifically with the bullpen. I mean, that was just – that was treacherous. And that, that kind of stuff – sometimes a bad team can just – as you mentioned, Frank, just fade into oblivion because they're just bad. This team wasn't bad. The bullpen was awful, horrific. The, te- the rest of the team wasn't that bad. The offense scored runs. The starting pitching wasn't nearly the nightmare that it's been in the past. It was actually pretty good. Um, you know, like the defense wasn't awful except when Mickey Moniak was out there. So I, just in general, you, it was so maddening because it was really one element of the team that was so epically bad that it, it, it submarined the entire mission and the entire approach. And I, and it wasn't just that it was, as Hunter said, people knew that that was the, that the fault of that laid at the hands of Matt Klintak. And I, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear the anger and the frustration instead of just the ambivalence that sometimes happens in this town when the baseball team isn't very good. And as you mentioned, just, attention shifts to the Eagles, the Sixers, the Flyers. No, I, I'm, I'm with Hunter. I think people were, were as happy as they could be when in the minutes that Klintak got fired and then angry again when Middleton had his press conference. And I do put, I think a lot of that goes back to the Bryce Harper signing. I do think it re-energized baseball in this town. And um, people want, you know, Joe Girardi's here. It's got some name value to it. These players are fun to watch. Didi Gregorius was I by far and away a great signing and I questioned the hell out of it and I was wrong. So I'll admit that it was a very good signing and uh, there's some players that people like to watch. So yeah, I think they're invested. Well, we have a whole off season to, to talk about what's going to happen. Doesn't sound like the uh, GM position will be settled quickly, but when it does, we'll be here to talk about it. And in the interim, we will be here to, decide what the Phillies should do anyway right (laughs) of course (laughs) well thank you for joining us on this powder blue podcast for frank close jeff mosher hunter brody we will catch you next time